Hey there, my name is Chelsea. I'm the digital content producer at Playwrights Horizons. And thank you so much for checking out our chat with a creative team of Stereophonic. First, we'll get to hear from the playwright David Ajmi, and then we will hear from Will Butler, who wrote the music. Enjoy. You know, playwrights are people we start out in each other's basements, in each other's living rooms. We're reading these plays together. We don't have any money. We have holes in our clothes. Mm -hmm. I remember Adam had these like corduroy pants. He always wore the same brown corduroy pants, plaid shirt. That was his uniform. And it was so cute and so homey. And maybe this play in a way is like a kind of nostalgia for those days, you know, when we had no money and we didn't know who we were gonna be and what we were gonna be. And and so in a way, I, I really, I actually think, I mean, it's such a cliche. Everyone says, oh, those lean and hungry years, those were the best times. But they were in a way the best times because people's ambition didn't flare up yet. Mm -hmm. You know, it was contained by the unknown of like what the future was gonna be. We didn't know if we were gonna be anything. We didn't know what was going, we might, some people did have leave and have to get, you know, jobs, real day jobs. Yeah. And that was it, and they left the theater. The theater doesn't reach out for you. You, yeah. have, to de you have to demand to be a part of it totally. and to stay in it. Totally. And so, you know, there was something very honest and very eager and very sweet and open-hearted about the way that my peers, the other playwrights, Anne Adam, Heidi Schreck, Kip Fagan, there was just a group of us. And the way that we all engaged with one another about our work and, um, and the way we were striving together and it was so kind of hard scrabble and New York's not an easy city to be in, period. So as like a fledgling theater artist, I mean, now it's incredibly impossible to do. I mean, I think it's literally impossible, but, um, but it was just normally like regular impossible <laughs> back then. It was just, it was just really, really hard. So, Romantically um, impossible back then. It was, yes, but you could still kind of do it. Do you know what I mean? Like you could kind of, get a share and live somewhere that wasn't, you know, 500 miles away in order to, you know, make your rehearsals. It's very hard right now, but um, anyway, I guess I do think, I mean, I'm just realizing this now that this play is maybe, it is, there is definite, you know, and I'm suspicious of nostalgia, period. Um, but I also, there's a nostalgic bent to my personality. I, there's a, like a romantic gloss that I can sometimes want to put on things. And maybe this play, there's something about looking at that moment before you know what's gonna happen to you and where you're gonna land in this weird stochastic, um, you know, framework. I don't know what the word is, but it's sort of like, because you know, it's a, a friend of mine had a play on uh, last year and, and the reviews were kind of mixed and she could see herself starting to slot herself like this is where I'm gonna this is how where I'm gonna fall yeah. <laughs> in the calculus of American theater this is where my place is like Annie Baker's here there's Sarah Rule up there I'm like kind of down here it, you know and and it's funny how you sort of and then you have to kind of restructure the way that you think about what your ambition is mm -hmm. and who you're gonna be and what your life's gonna look like and what you can reasonably go after yeah and 
so, and I think that these people in this particular play are in this weird liminal in-between space where they, I mean, it's literally the play is structured like they're in a kind of weird limbo. Yeah. They're trapped in the studio when Diana says they're there 16 hours a day. They're there all day. Sometimes they come in the middle of the night and that's just, it's like a chrysalis, the studio. And they're going to birth something and they're going to also birth themselves. And so that's what the play is dramatizing. And to me, that is the most exciting time when you don't quite know yet who you are. They're getting inklings of what's gonna happen to them, but they don't quite know what's gonna happen because they're protected by the bounds of the studio. Yeah, I love that. Um, I don't know, I love that they are kind of right before this big potential cusp. And so they're talking about doing their dry cleaning and you know the days when they couldn't make rent and it's it's like this is this could be the the birth of like rock gods yeah. you know and we are seeing them sheltered from what other people are saying because they're just right now they're just themselves making the art which you know you're talking a lot about how it was back you know before you know you knew what you were going to be you and your fellow playwrights and this feels a lot kind of like that but fame is sort of the strange illusion that it disperses you in the minds of all these people, but it's not really you. Mm -hmm. And and also, like when I see movies and television series about rock musicians, I always am very put off by what I'm watching because mm -hmm. it feels very airsats to me. People are playing into the superficial dimensions of being famous, the glamour around it, and sort of trying to make that into a kind of dramatic substrate. And for me, I'm so much more interested in the ordinary, boring, picayunish aspects of being an artist. Yeah. And, 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 and there's something very sweet to me about how these people are trying to negotiate the way they are seen by other people whether it's through the matrix of fame or in the women in the play are trying to sort of figure out who to be around these men that they're in relationships with and um and how being it's like almost like um the heisenberg principle like the way you're viewed changes you and so there is something very interesting to this play in terms of that mm -hmm. um, and and fame is a little bit the impending feeling that they're going to become wildly famous becomes a bizarre crucible that tests their relationships and whatever is fake or whatever is unstable dies yeah. <laughs> over the course of the play it cannot survive this kind of test of fame and what it's going to do to them. And I'm really interested in that. And I don't totally fully understand it. I'm just thinking about that, that like impending fame does feel like an upcoming death. It's like we are like almost marching to our death by, by following this call that we have to make this art that feels good to us and right. like feels expressive to us. But we know that what's coming is the end of, of now. It's like yeah. the end of the moment that we are together and we are just ourselves because we're about to give ourselves up to other people and they're and they're gonna take it that yeah that and it's almost like 
being famous and being in a relationship are like this weird Scylla and Charybdis in this play. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of trapped in between these things, or at least the women more than the men. Mm -hmm. But the women, it feels like they have to make real, especially Diana, they have to make real decisions about who they want to be and what they're going to sacrifice in order to do the thing that they need to do, the calling that they have. Yeah. And it feels like they can't do both. And it's this strange paradox in the play. It's there. Everything is kind of raveled together. Everything is kind of knotted up in this very strange, uncomfortable way. And they just have to learn to live in the discomfort. And yeah. that's life. I think that in it humanizes the art making process where it's like these people doing this thing that so many people idolize in their day to day, they're just living. Like yeah. they're just living for themselves and because that's what art is. It's yeah. not, it's not blown out. When, like when Mick Jagger wrote, you know, Sympathy for the Devil, it wasn't like, oh, here's my next great masterpiece. Yeah. It was just like, this is what I'm interested in. This is what excites me. This is what's turning me on right now. Yeah. And the fact that he could be a vessel for this song that could then be broadcast to all these people and become this legendary anthem of rock and roll music. Yeah. How, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think he would know. Like, I don't think anyone knows yeah. how these, how you become a totem for something gigantic in the world and mm -hmm. how you can contain something so huge by just engaging yourself with what excites and turns you on. It's very mysterious, I think, to the artists who do it. I mean, Diana's saying in, in, the, in the play, like, I don't, I don't know if she says it, but I think she's tearing with like, I don't know what I did yeah. <laughs> to have a number one song. And I don't know what to do to be a famous person with number one songs. Yeah. Do I have to be something new? Do I have to dress a different way? Yeah. Do I have to hang out with certain, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. What does this mean that I did this? Do I have to change who I am? Am I going to be changed whether I like it or not? Because mm -hmm. maybe fame will just do that to you. And it does. Yeah. So it's this weird like, encroaching shadow. She can feel it's like a horror movie a little bit, but it's horrifying and also tantalizing and exciting and interesting and maybe um, is gonna spur tremendous personal growth also. I think it's sort of, everything in this play is two things. <laughs> it's everything, everything in this play is two opposite things at the same time. Yeah. And so fame is one of those things. Yeah. Um, I'd like to spend from talking directly about the show a little bit and more, you were just saying that you started this in 2014. You know, I know there was supposed to be a production of this before the pandemic. What's a little bit of the kind of History. lifeline from, yeah, the beginning to, to right now? Well, Adam Greenfield was the first director of the first workshop of this play. I mean, I wanted Daniel to do it, and I asked Daniel to be involved with this. The way I started this play was different from anything I've ever done because I knew from the get-go that I wasn't going to write it in a normal way. If you're wondering why I've just cut David Adjami off right as he's about to launch into the history of Stereophonic, it's because the last 10 to 15 minutes of this interview unfortunately corrupted, disintegrated, fell off into the ether, whatever it is, it unfortunately is no longer with us. That being said, it was a beautiful conversation about manifestation and being okay with unraveled endings and, you know, the longevity of art. So. Everything that we talked about, you will feel yourself when you come and see Stereophonic. With no further ado, I give you my conversation with Will Butler. So how did this project find you? Many years ago, uh, 
My friend Maureen Towie, who's in the theater world and film world, said her friend David was working on a play and it had music in it and it was about a rock and roll band and mayhap I would like to work with him on it. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll. And we met at a diner around the corner from Playwrights. I forget what diner it was. And we had lunch and it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's give it a try. Yeah. Like, I'll send you some music, we'll see what happens. And that was, I mean, that was almost a decade ago at this oh, point. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Slow train rolling. Yeah. You guys were going to premiere in 2019, right? Or, or like right 2020. 2020. Oh, yeah. so that's yeah. why that's why I got No, they finished. were casting, they were casting the show when the, when Broadway closed down. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, I guess we sh can stop casting. <laughs> <laughs> At least it, it wasn't something that like happened on Zoom and then died on Zoom, you know? Like it's great that it gets to pick up after. No, and we hadn't like built the sets. There are many other nightmare scenarios that yeah. could have happened. Um, yeah, so it's great that it gets to actually oh, yeah. come to fruition here. Um, so you and David have been working together for a little bit. Is this the only project between the two of you that you've collaborated on so far? So far, we have plans for future stuff, but this is, this is the heavy lift at the moment. Was there ever conversation, it sounds like he kind of knew that he wanted it to be a play with music specifically, mm -hmm. but was there ever conversation to make it into a musical, like an actual, they sing on stage and... It was never, no, it was never thought of as a musical. It was more thought of as a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> It's That's, like this is like a Rolling Stones documentary yeah. and what do we hear and what do we see and how do we, what's that journey? And then it, it, it's ended up, the music in some ways still functions like a musical. Like it still kind of cracks open the world a little bit, but it, and then it stops because they're practicing and they're yelling at each other and they play for, for 90 seconds. And like, why are you doing that? Why are you playing the drums that way? Why are you so stupid? And it's... I don't know, yeah, so it's, it's more of a, it's, it's more of a realism path to madness as opposed to a madness path to emotional, I don't know. Yeah, no, totally, that, and, and it reads that way as like a documentary, as you were saying, now that, now that you've said that word, I'm like, oh, it totally, like, I totally get that vibe of like just having a camera in a room and I'm just observing people exactly. as I was reading through the script, so that's great. Um, and that pressure cooker of rehearsal, yeah. so real, <laughs> so real. Um, so the process of working on the music here, I've listened to some of the demos mm -hmm. and I'm so excited to get to see them kind of develop more, but uh, it sounds like it was pretty similar to work in recorded music that you've done and, mm -hmm. and the bands you've been in, Arcade Fire and Sister Squares. Um, was, was the working on the music for this show a little closer to that or closer to working on the score for her? It's changed a lot over the, it's, it's the journey of working on it has been long and it's the nature of it has changed over the course of it. So the first bit, when I didn't know David that well and we were just tinkering, it was much more, he was in charge and I was kind of like, here you go, sir. What do you think of this, sir? I mean, peers, but still like very deferential. Uh, and it still is in a certain point. I mean, his, David's words are the play. The play is a very good play. And so it's still like, what is, how does the music serve that? Um, but as the songs became real and as, you know, for many, many workshops, there was no music. I was working on things, but we weren't casting actors in workshops that were singing or playing instruments. Um, 
But when that started to become real, when it was like, oh, we're actually building a band here, then it was like I was in a band with the actors and with Justin Craig, who is, who's our amazing, amazing music director, who's been on the project for years and years as well. And then suddenly it was like me and Justin and the actors are in a band together. And that became much more similar to any band I've worked with, where it's like, let's try this harmony. Like, oh, try that again. Let's try a little faster. Let's try a little slower. Okay, uh, no, let's take a break. Let's just get a coffee. And, it's, and it starts to drive you mad because you are enacting the play as you're working on the play, as you're trying to write for the play, and you start to, you start, your brain starts to dissolve. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Do you think it feels different to write music that you're going to perform yourself mm -hmm. as opposed to writing for someone else to perform and someone who you know is like a scripted character? It's, in many ways, it's more enjoyable to write for a character. And I love, I've kind of always written for character a little bit. Like I've always written in the short story format mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for, but uh, to actually have someone else singing it and bringing their interpretation to it is like a very, it's like a cheat code to making something three-dimensional. When you're working with like a great actor and a great singer, it's like, oh, okay, this is like making it, this is putting flesh on these bones. And it's very, there's something very delightful about that. And I mean, I love, I love a workshop and I love an editing process. I love having many hands touch a thing and I, you know, and, and kind of slowly chipping away at the marble. And it's, it's really great, both with the actors and with David and with Daniel Locken to like kind of shape the emotional reality of the songs. It's, I like that collaboration and it's fresh enough. The theatrical is quite different than the band world. And it, so it's still very fresh and energizing instead of just like, okay, I gotta listen to these guys again. <laughs> Um, is this, speaking of the, the theatrical world, is this something you've always wanted to branch into or is it like, you know, this project happened to come up through perfect circumstance and, and just fell into place? No, I'm, I moved to New York in 2014. I moved to Brooklyn and it feels like I live in New York mm -hmm. to work on theater. <laughs> like, oh, right, this, is, this is appropriate. And I, I mean, I haven't done theater since high school, since I was Jesus and Godspell. It was like a big part of my life in my youth. And then I've done a lot of shows <laughs> in the meantime. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very fun to like properly work in like proper theater. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, yay, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like, you know, you're still getting to perform for an audience, but there's, yeah, there's so much more editing and collaboration yeah. between all the different different pieces. Um, I would love to ask you specifically, was there, growing up, was there a moment where you knew that music was like your, your thing, that you were gonna be doing it for the rest of your life? No, there was never a moment where I was like, I'm gonna be a musician. Mm -hmm. But my mom's a musician. She grew, up, she grew up doing a TV variety show with her whole family mm -hmm. on in the 60s and then her parents were musicians and her mom, my grandma, grew up doing pre-vaudeville church circuits in the American West. So like it is quite normal to become a musician or to become a performer and to be just like journey around the world. Uh, so it wasn't, 
it was normal and unsurprising that that happened, but it was, I was never like, this is what I'm going to do. It was just like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Okay, that works. Yeah. yeah, I'm very excited to get to see all of your work come together in the show. I'm reading the script. You're right. It's, yeah. it's an amazing script, and the demos of these songs sound amazing. So very Great. excited to get to have Stereophonic here. Me too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.